Father in heaven, we're just so grateful to you. You do so many wonderful things for us. Thank you that we're all here, Lord, that we can understand more deeply how your word applies to our lives. We pray that you will send your spirit to speak to every single heart here, that you will draw us close to you, Lord, and help us to be changed into your image as we behold you. Thank you, in Jesus' name, amen. Crystal fountains and slimy cisterns. This message is something that has really touched my heart as I've understood more of how God wants to help us break out of destructive cycles. You know, I'm, I'm working on my master's degree in biblical counseling, and I spend a lot of time talking with people who are wrestling with things that they want to break free from. And I remember one girl I talked to especially, she was a Bible worker, and she had heard some of my presentations, and she called me one day and just started crying. She said, I really need help. I haven't ever told anybody this, but I'm addicted to pornography and to masturbation, and I can't stop myself. This has been going on for years. I don't know what to do. I've tried everything. I'm leading other people to Christ, but down inside I know I'm a hypocrite because it's not working for me. The gospel is not setting me free of what's going on in behind the scenes. She said, I'm just... Over and over I fall, I'm devastated, I'll try to work through it, I'll pray and pray, but I can't break free. So I started talking with her about what was going on, how this had all started. And she had been abused, sexually abused, by someone who then, as, as she had fallen into this sin with this person, and she was older, she wasn't just a little kid, but it was a person in authority over her, and some of the things that he had done with her were the things that she was now doing herself and the kinds of pornography she was attracted to. And she said, I just hate myself. I don't even enjoy it. I don't even want to do it. I'm not getting any kind of satisfaction out of it. I just am compulsive. I have to do it. So I started talking with her about what was going on. What were the roots? What was it that was driving her to this? And as I explored with her, you know, what is it that you need to work through from what happened to you when you were younger? I said, is it possible, as she told me the whole story, I said, is it possible that you feel, because of this sexual abuse that happened to you, that you feel that's who you are, that you are dirty, that you are bad, and you can't break away from that? And she just started sobbing. She said, yes, yes, that's it. So I explained to her the gospel in a different way, in a way she could understand. I started sharing with her, you know, this is how God works. He cleanses you. You're confused because you've gotten confused between guilt and shame. Guilt is a message from God. It tells you you've done something bad. It's something he's telling you because he wants to restore you to harmony with himself. He says, here's something bad you have done. Let me take it away from you. Let me cleanse you. Let me cover you with my righteousness so that it's gone forever. But when you pray and you agonize before God and you give him this sin, you get up from your knees and you still feel dirty. And that's not guilt. That's shame. Shame is the opposite. It feels like guilt, but it's the opposite. Shame is a message from the devil where guilt comes from God and invites you to come back into harmony with him by letting him take your sin. Shame doesn't say you've done something bad. Shame says you are bad. There is something that has fundamentally damaged your worth that you are no longer worth what you were worth before you sinned. That's a lie. That's the devil talking to you. Shame says you are bad, and even Jesus isn't strong enough to cleanse you. I said, you've been confessing the fruit sins. You've been confessing the pornography. You've been saying, Lord, cleanse me from this. Help me not to do this again. But you haven't been confessing the root sins, getting to the heart of the matter. What was it that made you be driven to this sin? The pornography was a fruit sin, but the, that root sin was a denial of the power of God to set you free. I said, you need to pray and say, God, forgive me for my unbelief. Because I felt like I wasn't cleansed, I believed my feelings instead of believing your word that says, if you confess your sins, you are faithful and just to forgive my sins. Thank you, Lord for setting me free, for cleansing me from this, and it's gone. It's gone forever. I am no longer defiled. I trust your promise more than I trust my feelings. She was a woman transformed. She called me back a couple of weeks later. She said, I can't believe the difference. I'm really free. 
I'm really free. I can see that God has set me free. Not that she didn't ever deal with the, the temptations again, but when the temptations came, now she knew this is Satan tempting me to feel like I'm still dirty. This is Satan telling me that this would satisfy me. But as she keeps herself centered on Christ, she won't fall into those things. It's a temptation. Temptation is not sin. And now she found a, a whole new level of victory. Now she was finding, wow, I truly can overcome because God has dealt with the root sin, the root sin of unbelief. You see, the Bible doesn't say don't masturbate and if you do, this is what's going to happen to you. The Bible says believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. The Bible doesn't talk a lot about some of the fruit sins that we deal with. You know, compulsive TV watching, for example. The Bible doesn't talk about that, but it certainly talks about the root sins that lead to compulsive TV watching, like fleeing to something else for my satisfaction and comfort instead of to Christ, right? He says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. As we let God satisfy our hearts, the other things fall off. When you cut down the roots of the plant, the leaves wither up on their own, right? Not that there's not a battle, but God wants to set us free. And the way he sets us free is by breaking us out of these cycles. Jeremiah chapter 2 and verse 13 talks about this cycle. Um, if you have your Bibles, turn to Jeremiah 2.13, or you can read it on the screen here. It says, my people, that's God's people, right? My people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed them out cisterns, broken cisterns, that can hold no water. Two sins, only two sins right here. God says, there are just two mistakes my people have made. And then he proceeds to name the two root sins out of which all other fruit sins grow. My people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living water, and hewed out for themselves broken cisterns that can hold no water. This is a cycle. This is a destructive, poisonous cycle of sin that happens. For this girl who was a Bible worker, her sin cycle had started with she had had forsaken the fountain of living water. Knowing God says, I forgive you if you confess your sin, she believed instead the lie of the devil. Your sin cannot be cleansed by even the blood of Christ. She had forsaken the fountain of living water, and now she was trying to find cleansing somewhere else, satisfaction somewhere else, healing somewhere else. It's impossible. So she got herself into this destructive cycle. When she forsook the fountain of living water, she was now driven to the broken cistern. She was thirsty, she was hurting, she was desperate, and she could not stop herself from going back to the broken cistern. If you've seen people who are drug addicted, you see this cycle in the extreme. Their, their physical bodies are just in agony of withdrawal. I need this, I have to have this. They won't stop themselves, they'll do anything. They'd rather die than live without their drug. And some people are not much less, even though their, their addictions are more socially acceptable. If you tell somebody, get rid of your TV, or you're going to be lost eternally, they go, well, that's rough, huh? I'll have to think about that. Well, is that really a question? We're addicted. So often when a person knows, God is telling me, I need to do this, but I feel you know, I know God doesn't want me to be dating this girl, and I'll work through it, and, you know, I'm going to pray about it. But they know eternal life hangs in the balance. Is it this idol, or is it this thing? Or is it, or is it Christ? What, whatever am I, what am I going to choose instead of Christ? And any time that we forsake the fountain of living water, we will go to some broken cistern. We will look for an idol because we are created to be worshipers. We are idolaters looking for a God to worship if Christ is not on the throne of our hearts. This cycle is what continues. You know, for this girl, because she wasn't getting peace and healing and trusting God's forgiveness for her, she was driven to her addiction. Because she was driven to her addiction, she would just fall on her face and be so devastated by her own sin that she could not come back to Christ. She couldn't face him. I can't feel close to him. Because she wouldn't come back to the fountain of living water, she was driven back to her compulsion. And this cycle of destruction was destroying her life. 
Once she found out what was the secret, she needed to break the cycle. She needed to come to Jesus and realize he does cleanse. He does set me free. No matter how I feel, I am cleansed. I can trust the promise. Then she had the courage and the power to break away from the addiction. And even though she would still be tempted to go back to this sometimes for some kind of satisfaction, for being able to, you know, to save herself by her own works, if you want to call it that. Instead of going to Christ, I can do something else that will be a temporary quick fix. For her, she had to break both sides of the cycle. And you can break either side of the cycle first, but both of them have to be broken. Some people, they say, I am going to follow Christ. And they go get all of their CD collection and smash them one by one. That's breaking the broken cistern. But now they better come back to the fountain of living water and start letting Christ satisfy the deep areas of their life, or they'll be going out buying more CDs before long, won't they? God wants us to hit the cycle on both sides. We've got to break the cycle of the broken cistern. In order to drink deeply of the fountain of living water, we have to be willing to forsake the broken cisterns. In order to break the broken cisterns, we have to have the courage to drink deeply of the fountain of living water. Can you see how this works? God wants us to drink deeply from him. As we do, we get the courage to break away from other things. What are the broken cisterns that we tend to flee to? For everyone, it's different. There are all kinds of broken cisterns that some people flee to, and we often tend to look at other people's broken cisterns in horror. How dare they go to pornography? Or if pornography is our secret problem, we say, how dare they eat like a pig? Don't they realize what they look like? You know, we, we find something that we feel the secret need for, and that becomes our idol. You know, we look at somebody else, why do you not just break up with that jerk who keeps on hurting you all the time? But we can't seem to stop ourselves from going back to the music or the shopping or whatever it is that we find instead of Christ to satisfy our hearts. These are the broken cisterns that God is talking about. And it doesn't matter what they are. Even good things can be broken cisterns. Ministry is a common broken cistern. Some people, when they feel bad about themselves, they go out and start doing something for other people. That makes them feel better. I wrote a bunch of encouraging notes to people, and then I felt better about myself. Well, that's a great thing to do, and that can help you to break out of a depressive cycle when you're focusing on yourself. But that's not enough. If you're feeling depressed, maybe you need to be going to Christ and saying, there's something wrong. I'm not connecting with you on a deep level. Ministry is great, and it does help us. You know, as we go out and share the gospel with other people, it inspires faith in us as we see, wow, look what God is doing. But ministry, if we go to that instead of Christ is an idol, a broken cistern, and it won't satisfy. It'll make us feel a little bit better, but we'll have to keep going back for more. You know, some people I've known, they, they preach. They just love to go around preaching everywhere because it makes them feel worthwhile. It makes them feel like even God must value me. Look at all the things that I do for him. But God doesn't want us to have any need for broken cisterns. What drives us to broken cisterns? Think of it this way. If you were stranded out in the desert and you see the oasis off in the distance and you know there's fresh, cool, clear water there, but it's so far away. And I know if I just dig down right here in the sand a little bit, I'll be able to find some water. It may be kind of salty, it may be kind of yucky, but there's water right here. It's so far to get there. We may be tempted. Dig down right here, get a little water. It doesn't thoroughly satisfy me, but boy, it tastes good. But the more that I drink here, the more I think, wow, do I really want to leave this? That's a long way. And it starts looking like it's even farther to get to that oasis. Plus, when you drink salt water, the more you drink, the thirstier you get, right? So become, we become addicted. We need this. And maybe this hole that we've dug dries up, but we'll find another one. Haven't you known people like that? They're in this relationship with somebody, it all goes sour. Oh, he was such a jerk, and here he seems so nice. I'm never going to fall into that again. No way. I've signed off of guys forever. Two weeks later, they're in another one with a different guy or the same guy. It doesn't matter. Whatever it is that they're getting into, it's an addictive cycle because they're going to a broken cistern instead of the fountain of living water. They, they find something that satisfies a little bit, but when this one dries up, they'll dig another hole. And the longer they stay there, the thirstier they get, and the farther away the oasis seems. You see the cycle? 
when we feel far from God, we can say, Lord, I'm going to pursue you. I don't really feel like praying right now. I don't really feel like studying the Bible right now. So I know I need to do it, and I'm going to do it right now. Not so that I can gain your favor and feel better about myself, but because I need to connect with you on a deep level. I need you to satisfy the brokenness in my heart. Heal me. Bring me to peace with you. Is there some sin I'm holding on to instead of you, Lord? Then as we do that, as we keep on going toward the oasis, God, it's as if he brings the living water to us, just enough to give us the courage to keep going. I've got some water for you right here. You can make it. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. Not because he wants us to pursue him. He's, he's not sitting there at the oasis saying, if you'll work hard enough, you can get over here and I'll give you some water. But because he knows we need to pursue him. If we don't pursue him, we won't develop the faith, the, the strength of perseverance. We won't develop the, the perseverance that we need to be able to make it to the oasis. And he knows that by pursuing him, we grow to value our relationship with him. And next time when we start thinking, well, I really just feel like hanging out and going out to movies. I don't, I don't really need to go to God right now. I know I kind of should. We know, wow, you know, if I just let my relationship with God slide for a while, I'm going to hit the rocks again. I don't want to have to go through that hot, sandy desert trying to get back into communion with God. It's not worth the movie. It's not worth whatever it is that I was going to go to instead of him. You see what I mean? God wants us to pursue him, but it's only because he knows we need to pursue him. He'd be happy to come bring the water to us, but he knows we grow by pursuing him. So God tells us, come on, come to the oasis. Keep going. When you don't think you can make it any farther, I'll bring you enough water to keep you going. But when we grow discouraged and we don't believe in God's love, we say, well, let me just dig down here really quick. You know, I know I need to spend time with God, but I really feel like watching a movie tonight. I really feel like just going to the ice cream instead. And so we go to something else, and then we feel guilty, or then we feel even less interested in the Bible. We just had this high-powered two hours of intense action, and now to read the Bible it just seems so boring. You know what I mean? The longer we wait, the farther away the oasis seems, and the more satisfying our broken cisterns seem. Now, a cistern is a place that holds water, but I titled this about slimy cisterns because have you ever noticed how it is when you have water just standing for a while? It gets slimy. It gets nasty. It doesn't taste so good. And God, in his wonderful mercy, makes our cisterns grow slimy. The relationship that we thought was the only thing that could ever satisfy us, the thing that we could not live without, starts falling apart. It goes sour because God knows we can stay happy in this relationship, but we'll miss the kingdom. It's so much more important. You know, we pray, oh, Lord, please help things to work out between us. I love him so much. I love her so much. But God knows answering that prayer by giving us what we want right now is going to drive us away from him. It's going to make us idolize this idol even more instead of coming to him. When God sets us free, he wants us to be free indeed. But so often... We flee to things, whatever it is, naturally, because that's just the way that we were born. We're born sinful. We're born wanting to go to something that satisfies us quickly. And our culture has fed that powerfully. It gives us all these things that are quick fixes. If you don't feel good, if you feel lonely, flip your cell phone open. Find somebody to call. You'll feel better. And you will. What do you know? Find something to eat that makes you feel great. Comfort food, right? Shopaholic time. Where do we turn? All of us have our own idols, and it doesn't matter what your idol is. Where do you turn? What is it that you feel the need for? You know, this is, this is a hard question to ask, but each one of us has to ask it to ourselves. Lord, where do I turn? When I feel down, when I feel discouraged, what is it that I start thinking about? Maybe it's popularity. I think, you know, I am really popular. A lot of people like me. Look at all the friends I have in my cell phone. In fact, I'll call somebody right now. We go to Facebook. We put up something that we think will get attention and get people to comment, make, make people laugh, and then they'll say something back to us. See, I do have friends. We're basing our sense of identity and worth and lovability on what somebody else thinks of us, right? The fear of man. That shifting sand will go down soon, and then we'll be needing something else to make us feel like we're loved. 
It doesn't matter where we turn, but God wants to set us free. He wants us to drink deeply from his fountain, and then we look at the slimy cistern and go, ooh, why would I want that? God has made us like sponges. Have you ever had a dry sponge? You hold a dry sponge in your hand and you squeeze it. It's ready to get anything. Soak it up, right? You put it in water and it just soaks it in. You pick it up, it's dripping, right? It doesn't take long for a sponge to soak up all that water. God has made us like sponges, thirsty, and only he can satisfy us. But we have a problem. In our sinful world, often there are things that kind of act like a Ziploc bag. Now, imagine that you put this sponge inside the Ziploc bag, and then you put it into a sink full of water. It's, it's zipped inside this bag. When you pull it out 10 minutes later, and you open the Ziploc bag, if your Ziploc has done what Ziploc is supposed to do, your sponge is still dry, right? This is how many people are when they go to God. This is how my Bible worker friend was. She's going to God. She's immersing herself in Him. And yet she's coming up dry. She's going, why, why? I keep trying to connect with God. He's not helping me. What is the Ziploc bag? What is it that holds us back from really experiencing the love of God and letting that satisfy our thirsty souls? God has revealed himself in his word. He's told us what he thinks of us. In Isaiah 43, 4, it says, Since thou wast precious in my sight, thou hast been honorable, and I have loved thee. This is the message of redemption. God loves us. This is the water for our thirsty souls. But we don't drink in God's love because we have a Ziploc bag around us that the devil has put around us. He says things like, Nobody loves you. You never do anything right. You are fill-in-the-blank, whatever it is. You're ugly, you, you're dumb. God wants to puncture through that Ziploc bag. And what, is, what do you use if you want to puncture a Ziploc bag? Something sharp, right? God wants to use the sword, the word of God, to puncture through that Ziploc bag to say, this is who I am. Don't believe the lies of the devil. Many of us have been lied to by our parents, not intentionally often, but... Parents, you know, in God's order of things, he made it so a baby is born. And in his plan, that baby will be born to two perfect parents who love each other and who love God and who love this baby. And throughout that baby's life as they're growing up, even before they know there's a creator, even before they're conscious of any of those things, they learn about love. They know they're loved unconditionally. If they're hurting, somebody takes care of them. If they're struggling with something, someone else will help them with it. And so they grow up in this constant consciousness of love. And gradually, as their parents, you know, direct them to, by the way, did you know who love is and who love comes from? God is love. They're introduced to God, and they grow up until someday they're like their parents, people who are also seeking after the God that they've seen all of their lives. God is love. Wow, this is what God is like. But Adam and Eve sinned, didn't they? And since then... There's never been a perfect parent. Every parent has failed their children. So in every person's life, there are ways that their parents have not reflected God to them. And some of us, our parents have misrepresented God in profound ways. Maybe your parents have yelled at you, told you, you're worth nothing, I don't care about you. You know, maybe your parents have abandoned you or neglected you. Whatever it is your parents have done that has not been like Christ, that may be something that goes into making a Ziploc bag around your heart. It makes it harder for you to believe that God is love because your parents didn't show you that. So it's, I know God loves me, but practically I feel that if only I do everything right, God will love me because that's the way my dad was. If I do everything right, my dad will love me. If I don't, he yells at me. Therefore, when we try to connect with God, we feel, but I'm not doing everything right. He's not going to love me. I just know it. The Word of God says He loves me no matter what, but I feel this. You see, this is how the Word of God works to set us free. God says, compare what you feel about me to what the Word says about me. And then, which one do you believe? God says, but I feel. Which one are you going to believe? 
God says must be what we believe. God says, but I feel is not a question we need to answer. So many people come to me for counseling, and this is their primary problem. God says, but I feel. God says I shouldn't be dating this person, but I feel I will die if I break it off. God says that he loves me, but I feel that until I get thin enough, nobody can love me. God says that I don't need to go to this addiction, but I feel I can't stop. When we are struggling with those things, we need to figure out what is the Ziploc bag? What is it, my misconception of God? Because if we understand what God is and who he really is, the love that he has for us, by spending time with him meditating on his word, we will be transformed into his image. We'll see, wow, that's what you're like. We'll be drawn to him. We'll rest in his love. We'll luxuriate in it. But instead, we feel, you know, I'm trying so hard to connect with God, but he is sitting up there doing this. You know, I just got an email a couple of days ago from a girl who says, why does God demand that I have faith in him when he does so little to make me feel that he's trustworthy? A real answer from a heart that's crying out because God has been misrepresented to her. Because God was misrepresented to her, not just by her parents, but by other significant people in her life in profound ways, she knows God is there, but she feels God is not. So she's dealing with fear, she's dealing with anger, and she's wrestling with these things. What is the answer for somebody like that? The answer lies in letting the sword puncture the bag, saying, God, what do you say about your love? Meditating on it. I don't mean say, okay, God has said, I've loved you with an everlasting love, therefore with loving kindness I have drawn you. Okay, I'm going to believe that. Amen. And go launch into your day. You've got to meditate on it. Don't expect it to transform your life if all you do is just take a little sip and take off. God wants it to become a part of you. When you feel, you know, oh, I just feel so awful. I yelled at somebody at work today, and I got a ticket driving home. I feel rotten. But God says, you see, this is a prime time to let the sword cut through the bag. God says, it's okay. I love you anyway. It doesn't matter that you've made mistakes. You see, then... As we trust in what God says about us, what we feel becomes less and less important. As we meditate on God's word, what God says outweighs what I feel. Our culture says what I feel outweighs what God says. God says homosexual behavior is wrong, but how can love be wrong? I feel it's right. Well, you've got to do what feels right to you. Haven't you heard that? God says this is the right way. Walk in it. But I feel that God has led my boyfriend and me together, even if he's not a Christian, but he's such a kind person. And you should see how he treats other people. And you know, he was asking me spiritual questions just the other day. I really think that God is, but God says. So it doesn't matter what I feel, does it? Not that God can't work with a person in that situation. Not that God hasn't led people who have married people who are not of the faith. And God hasn't worked in those situations to transform and bring his glory out of it. But that's not how God wants us to go about doing his work, evangelistic dating. When God says, do something, you don't have to weigh up. God says, but I feel you just do what he says, right? But will you ever be able to do what he says if you're still caught in the cycle of the broken cistern? This is what I see people doing. Okay, God says, I've got to break this off. And so I'm going to do it. I'm going to break it off. And they break it off. Two days later, well, we decided we'd just be best friends. Mm -hmm. Yeah, what you just did was you broke the cistern. You broke the broken cistern said, all right, I'm not going to do that anymore. But you refused to go to the fountain of living water. God has created us as thirsty beings. There's nothing evil about that thirst. It's what drives you to Christ. That's why he gave it to you. That thirst for someone to love you, someone to make you feel worthwhile. He wants you to find it in him. And when you find it in him, then you look at that relationship and say, why would I want to stay with a person who's treating me this way? Why would I want to stay with a person who's pursuing a life goal that's so radically different than my own of being changed into the image of Christ? You see, when our goal is holiness, we seek Christ first. When our goal is happiness, we seek self first. Whenever Christ is not on the throne of our hearts, something else will jump on that throne. 
And that something else will always, at its bottom, be self. You may say, oh no, it's just that I want to sacrifice for this person. He's never had anybody love him before like me. This is the first chance that he's ever had to see what love is really like. Yeah, it, it, it would be funny if I hadn't seen so many tragic things happen, but it's really true. People do this. Thousands of people. You know, when I was teaching here at Weimar Academy, I taught a beautiful, wonderful girl named Erica. Erica loved God. She wanted to follow God with all of her heart. But she was very weak. She had gone through so many things in her life that had devastated her, repeated abuse. Her mom was a drug addict, all kinds of horrible things. This poor girl had just been through so much in life. And finally, when she, some, one of her mom's boyfriends, ex-boyfriends, came and took her. As soon as she turned 18, he persuaded her to come off campus. When she climbed in his car, he drove away with her, kidnapped her, said, you're staying with me now. And because she was 18 now, you know, she went along with it, being herself. She just couldn't say no to anybody. She needed somebody to love her so desperately. Within a few months, she was pregnant, and the relationship was so rocky, off and on, all kinds of things happened. When she was just, um, her daughter was a year and a half old, almost a year and a half old, I think. I, I remember her calling me one time. Mrs. Parker, please, can you come get me? It was the middle of the night. She was terrified. She'd married some other guy, and she didn't know what to do. This guy is terrorizing her. I persuaded her to wait for the morning, and I would come and get her. I went to get her the next morning, but then I think she realized staying with me, she wouldn't be able to smoke, and she had gotten addicted to smoking again. So she called her mom, and her mom said she would come get her. So she went to stay with her mom again. And before long, this other boyfriend that was the father of her daughter came back into her life, it was just one spiral after another. She had so much promise. She got rebaptized when she'd gone to a GYC. She, she had a heart to follow God. And just shortly before her death, she made a recommitment to Christ. She left this boyfriend. She started bringing her little girl to Sabbath school every week. She was going around telling everybody, Jesus loves us so much. He's coming so soon. We've got to be ready. One of the things I remember best about her when she was in academy was walking around with this string with a bunch of little memory verse cards, index cards with her memory verses. And while she'd walk from the academy over to, for lunch, she'd read her memory verses and memorize and claim promises. She had a heart to follow God, and God was working in her life. But just that morning before she was killed, she was on the phone with her boyfriend's parole officer, ex-boyfriend at that point, telling him, it's, he's just stalking me because he loves me so much. He persuaded her to come meet her in a parking lot for some reason and shot her dead in front of her little girl. And people will call that codependency. I would call it idolatry because that's what the Bible calls it. Now, fortunately for her, and knowing Erica and knowing how she was, she, wasn't, she was a little feeble-minded in some ways. She wasn't fully with it. And some of the things that she was going through, I believe her heart was right with Christ. She had recommitted herself to Christ, and I think I'll be seeing her in heaven. Maybe the Lord knew he better just allow this to happen because she was right with him at this point, and she was going to spiral into this thing again if, if he didn't rescue her. But what a tragedy. A beautiful girl with so much potential because... She, she was so feeble at breaking out of the cycle of the broken cistern. She'd break one side, but then she wouldn't know how to go back to Christ because of how he'd been misrepresented to her in her life in so many profound ways. Or she'd go to Christ, but she wouldn't be able to stop doing the behaviors that she knew she needed to stop. The cycle of the broken cistern is deadly, and it will kill you. It will kill you either the way it killed Erica, or it will kill you and rob you of your eternal life. God wants to set us free. And he wants to give us that living water. As he gives us the living water, we break the cycle. We have the courage to take the steps to do what we need to do. And as we have the courage to take those steps, we draw close to him. The book God's Amazing Grace, page 246, says, The glory of God is to be revealed in the creation of man in God's image and in his redemption. One soul is of more value than a world. This is the truth that God wants us to meditate on, the truth that punctures any Ziploc bag around any soul. As we understand, God loves me. He created me in his image. He has this 
unlimited potential throughout all of eternity. He wants to be changing me more and more, to become more and more loving, to see, wow, you're like that. I had no idea you loved me like that. Oh, Lord, I love you more. More and more every day we learn to love him. More and more we learn to follow him. As we meditate on redemption, we realize, I've made a mess of my life. I've blown it in so many ways. But Lord, you love me so much that none of those things even touch on my value in your eyes. I'm of infinite worth even in the midst of all my sin and filth. Those truths of creation and redemption, as we meditate on those, as we meditate on how much he loves us, how much we're worth, then our sense of identity is built on him. And we no longer need to go to the broken cisterns. Then as we spend time with God, in the morning he taps us on the shoulder and says, you realize the way that you talked to your husband yesterday was disrespectful. You realize the way that you talked to your daughter, you were shaming her into obeying. I want you to come up higher. You realize the way that you were relating to food yesterday, you wanted to go to it to make you feel better instead of coming to me. He taps us on the shoulder. He tells us those things. We're not going to get to the point in life, I'm convinced, where we have no broken cisterns that we're ever naturally drawn to, where we say, you know, I'm no longer tempted to anything. Wouldn't that be wonderful? But that's not the way it is in a fallen world. And there's no sin in being tempted, is there? God wants to cleanse us all the way down to the roots. He wants us to understand even when we do good things, we often have impure motives or mixed motives. I'm doing the right thing, Lord, but down inside I wouldn't mind if somebody put it in the newspaper. <laughs> we, we'd like somebody to say, boy, that was just amazing. I saw how you treated that poor old man. You know, carnal, carnal nature and impure motives, they're always just a step away. And the devil is always there to say, look, you're worth a whole lot. Look how well you treat people. Look at what a good Christian you are. Broken cisterns, all of them. God doesn't want us to base our sense of identity or worth or lovability on, wow, you know, God, you must be really glad to have somebody so gifted in your service. <laughs> that, that's a broken cistern. As soon as we start basing anything that we're supposed to get from God, on other things, it's a broken cistern, and we're likely, likely to stray. What would you define as an idol? I call it anything that rules our hearts instead of God. If something rules my heart, it will control my behavior. But the behavior is not the problem. My heart is the problem. My behavior may be compulsive, and I may then say, all right, I'm going to stop doing that. I'm going to throw away all those clothes that I know I shouldn't have. I'm going to throw away all that music I know I shouldn't have. Yes, but what's going on in your heart? Are you surrendering to God and saying, Lord, I'm not just going to do what I know you want me to do because I have no peace without it. I'm going to do what you want because I love you with all my heart. Come into my heart. Live in me. Change me. Help me to drink deeply from your fountain. When I feel thirsty, when I don't feel close to you, Lord, help me to meditate on what your word says about how you feel about me. Instead of believing how I feel, got to believe the word. The word is what breaks through that plastic bag. Anytime we're not spending time regularly in deep devotional time with God, that plastic bag starts to grow around our hearts again. We start getting thirsty. We start saying, Lord, you're not making me feel good about myself. I need something else, something to supplement. I'm just a little thirsty, Lord. You're, you're, you're doing a great job in those areas, but let me just go find satisfaction over here instead. God wants our hearts. It's all about our hearts, how much he loves us, how much he, he would sacrifice for us, the price he's paid for us. When you know the price he's paid for you, how can you doubt that you're worth anything to him? Meditate on those things instead of going out to find something to satisfy you. Review and Herald, February 28, 1882, says, Christ alone can satisfy that sense of want in the human soul. His gracious invitation reaches down even to our time. From the fountain of life, the cry still goes forth to a lost world. Come unto me and drink. You know, when Moses was out there in the desert and he struck the rock and the water poured out, there was enough. There was enough for everybody. And that water never stops flowing. It's there for you, whether you feel like it's there or not. Anytime you go and kneel down and say, God, I need you. I need you to satisfy me. He will. 
You may not feel satisfied right away because he wants you to keep going toward that oasis, but he'll give you the courage. He'll give you the strength to keep persevering, to keep pursuing him. We want instant gratification, but if he gives it to us, then we're going to demand it next time. God, last time I prayed, you flooded me with peace. I want you to do that this time too. Well, how are you going to grow? What happens when you make it to the end of time and suddenly you have to be tempted in every way and you have to battle? But in the past, every time you prayed, God flooded you with peace instantly and now he's not. What are you going to do? You can't rely on those feelings. You've got to rely on the word. And so that's why he doesn't always give you that feeling of being satisfied immediately. Sometimes it's because if you got the feeling, you wouldn't mind going on with the sin. You'd keep drinking from that broken cistern. But if you don't feel good, you're willing to probe deeper and say, God, what is it I'm going to instead of you? What is it that I'm allowing to be on the throne of my heart? Show me what it is. Nudge it off the, heart, the throne of my heart so that I can have you again as the king of my life. Then the peace can flood us. Then we can live in the light of his presence, whether or not we feel it, because we know it. We know I've confessed everything that I know of that stands between you and me. Therefore, I can rest and rejoice in you and know that when something else tempts me, I can cling to you. You'll give me the strength to stop it and you will satisfy my heart. Whether I feel great immediately or not, you will satisfy my heart. Now, I want to talk about, you know, so often I hear about codependency. I think it's something that really needs to be mentioned. My counselor says I'm codependent. You can see this iceberg picture. The codependency is up there at the top, the little, uh, little thing that sticks out at the top. When people are in codependent relationships, as they call them, all they are is idolatrous relationships. It's very simple. The Bible deals with codependency. It's just idolatry. And God deals with it the same way that he deals with all other idolatry. He says, give it up. Now, that doesn't mean that in every situation where you've gotten into a place where you feel better if you have this person's friendship comforting you, that you can cut it off. They're making you feel good. No, God wants us to go back and drink from the fountain of living water. But to just label it codependency, I'm sorry, honey, you, you've got a codependent relationship with this person. Let's talk every week, and you can work through your feelings. I'm not going to tell you to break it off. I just want you to talk through your feelings, get them all out, and then you'll feel a lot better. This is the, the modern psychotherapy approach. Talk about everything that you feel. Don't, don't try to take any action, because once the feelings go away, then you'll do the right thing. Once you stop feeling so, so needy and lonely, then you'll be able to break it off with this person. No, break the cycle of the broken cistern on both sides. Go to Christ and stop the, the bad thing, the idol that it is that you're going to. There may be some things that aren't even bad in themselves, but that become idols to you. Maybe some item of clothing that isn't bad in itself, but when you wear it, you feel fantastic about yourself. Well, maybe you need to lay that aside for a couple of weeks and pray that the Lord will help you not to rely on those feelings to make you feel confident, but to trust Him and His love for you. Then you can be able to do something without having to cling to it. Yes? In my practice, people must do both. If they do one effectively, they will be driven to do the other. If, if a person comes to Christ and really loves him and really drinks in his love, they have the courage to break off the relationship. They have the courage to stop the way that they're relating to food. But if they don't continue drinking from the fountain of living water, they start becoming compulsive again. This is not a finish line. It's a journey. Your journey is your destination. Your journey is that process of becoming more and more like Jesus. So any time along the way, you can fall off the path onto either side. You can fall off into the side of, I'm going to do great. I'm going to be such a good Christian that, you know, God says to spend time with him every day. I'm going to spend three hours every day. I'm going to spend Sabbath and Tuesday all day long with him. You know, some people just fall into this, I'm going to do everything, and I'm going to do it 110%, and then God will accept me. I'm going to make up for all the bad stuff I've done in the past. That's trying to save yourself by your own works. That's legalism. All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. 
And that's what the children of Israel tried to do, right? They tried to break the broken cisterns by saying, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. We'll do everything he said and even more. We're going to do it all. But without going to the fountain of living water, they immediately went back and before they knew it, they were making the golden calf. On the other hand, some people will fall to the opposite extreme. They'll say, I'm not going to do those things. I'm not going to break it off. I'm just going to I'm going to spend time with God every day, and as I get the courage, gradually I'll get to where I'll be able to stop doing the things that I know I shouldn't do. But as long as, as, long as you're doing that, you're never going to really break away because you're clinging to an idol. That thing is still more important to me than Christ. It's my pacifier. When you're drowning, you've got to grab this rotting log, or you can reach out and swim for that life ring that the ship has thrown to you. You've got to choose one or the other. If you cling to the rotting log, the life ring is always a little too far away. And if you swim for that, you've got to let go of this. So God wants us to choose. He says, choose you this day whom you will serve. If we cling to the thing, we can't fully let Christ into our lives. Not that he doesn't keep working with us, not that he doesn't keep wooing us, but as long as we're hanging on to something else, we, we find ourselves compulsively driven to that. I've had people, you know, they'll say, oh, I know, I know, you're right. I'm not going to spend any more time with him. I'm just wrecking my life. Ten minutes later, they're on the phone asking the guy to go out to the mall with him. You, you just can't break it on your own. People decide, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. But without that deep connection with him, the go their golden calf is back right away. On the other hand... When people turn to God and say, yeah, I'm going to try having a relationship with God. I'm going to start doing that devotional thing that you were talking about. But I'm not going to give up my anger toward my father. Then before long, they're coming back to me and they're saying, I've been trying and trying to connect with God, but I just can't seem to. He just, you know, I just feel like I'm doing everything I can, but he's not doing anything to connect with me. Well, it's because he can't flow into you. Because if you had that peace flow into you and you know you're connected with God, why would you let go of your idol? He loves you too much to make you comfortable in your sin. Then you'll be lost, happily, peacefully hanging onto your rotting log as you go to hell. He doesn't want to do that to you. He loves you too much. So he says, choose one or the other. Sometimes we as ministers to others, and this is what I see in counseling, sometimes we have to call people to that choice. You know, yesterday I talked with a wife whose husband is... Uh, totally not willing to confront his sin issues, and yet he's in ministry. And she's going to a counselor, and the counselor is listening to her every week for $200 an hour. Very nice of her, isn't it? Um, she says, what should I do? I said, has your counselor talked to you about Matthew 18? Well, she's a Christian counselor, but no, she hasn't brought up Matthew 18. I said, well, your husband is living in open sin. He's, he's looking at pornography, and he's preaching every week. You know, you need to do what God has called you to do. That doesn't mean be comfortable, you know. Oh, I'm just going to be a loving, kind wife to him. Well, God has put you in this position to help him confront his sinfulness. You can say to him, honey, this is an idol in your life, and we're going to have to deal with it. Or else, I'm going to up the level of discomfort for you. Not because I'm mean or angry, but because I want to help you to come to Christ. Because I'm not willing to let you live on the fence, risking every day that you will be lost eternally. If you're not going to make that decision, I'm going to help become more uncomfortable for you to stay in this position. Maybe that means, like in Matthew 18, you take it to somebody else, which she's already done. If, if that's not going to work, you take it to the church. You say, this is what's going on. My husband is doing these things. It doesn't sound like fun. And of course, it's like, oh no, I don't want to do that. That sounds really complicated. Boy, he'd be mad at me. Well... So which one is more important to you, how you feel or your husband's eternal salvation? Marriage is not a picnic. It's hard work, especially when you're dealing with sin issues like that. But as God calls us higher and higher, he says, don't just seek for happiness. Well, it's going okay right now, and he's not being abusive, and yeah, he's checked out emotionally, but you know, we're making it work, and I, just, I can't rock the boat right now because I don't have the courage and strength to deal with that. Well, God understands how you feel, but he wants your goal to be holiness, not just happiness. You know, and often what people really want is for me to tell them, I'll pray with you. It's okay, God understands how you're hurting, 
but just keep trying. Keep trying to spend a little time with him every day, and you know, it'll all work out. I need to help them figure out what are the, what are the idols? What is it that you're fleeing to instead of Christ? You know, if I were an oncologist and somebody comes to me and they've got skin cancer, you know, man, she's really going to feel terrible if I tell her what that is. It's just a rash. Here, put this cream on it, you know. I'm not helping at all, am I? God says, come to me. Show your heart to me. Say, Lord, what's in my heart? Show me what my wrong motives are for the things that I'm doing, even good things I'm doing. And then he says, here, look at this one. This is something that needs to go. And I go, oh, that one? Oh, Lord. Do I really need to apologize to him? And he says, yes, it's time. Why? Well, it's not actually the apology that's going to do any good, but your pride is the real issue. And pride is a sin, by the way, and I want to uproot that neat little pride because the Bible does talk about pride. It may, talk, may not say specifically, Nicole, you need to go talk to this person about how you've sinned against them by gossiping, but it does talk about my pride and how I need to be humbled, right? The Bible deals with the root issues, and the two root issues of all sins are forsaking God as the fountain of living water and hewing out broken cisterns that can hold no water. All of our sins come from one of those two kinds of, of fountains, or often from both of them, right? I get into something, and it, it becomes more and more complicated. Um, Women Who Love Too Much says in its introduction, and this is not a book I'd recommend or anything, but it had some interesting insight. Most men who have been damaged in childhood do not develop an addiction to relationships. They usually try to protect themselves and avoid their pain through pursuits which are more external than internal, more impersonal than personal. Their tendency is to become obsessed with work, sports, or hobbies. This is often the god of control. Men want to be in charge. They want to be God by being in control of their lives. Not that women don't have that too. The woman's tendency is to become obsessed with a relationship, perhaps with just such a damaged and distant man. We often want to fix it, to be God, right? You shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. The devil lies and he keeps lying to us, you know? You will be God. If you can just help this man enough, you will heal his heart by your everlasting, unconditional love for him. Well, you won't. God is the only one who can heal his heart. And sometimes the best you can do to help somebody to go to God is to remove that comforting blanket of you make them feel better in order to help them go to God and say he is the only one who can help you. Don't lie to yourself. This is one of the things I see people do so much. The person who manages to deny his pain behind a facade of togetherness is dangerously vulnerable to developing compulsively sinful habits because he's not dealing a death blow to the wrong strategies that block his enjoyment of the Lord. The unrecognized and largely unfelt ache in his soul still demands relief. He's ripe for being hooked. You know, like they say, denial is not a river in Egypt. <laughs> denial is real. <laughs> And the Bible deals with it. The Bible says we need to speak the truth in our hearts. He that speaks the truth in his heart will be saved. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts. We can lie to ourselves. Didn't the Pharisees lie to themselves? They knew Jesus was the Son of God, and yet they refused to believe it. People lie to themselves, and this is why God wants to confront us. This is the value of counseling that when we go to somebody else who has studied the Bible and sees how it applies to a lot of areas in life, inevitably we have our own blind spots because of our own sinful tendencies. And then we go to somebody else and say, here's something I'm struggling with. They may be able to look from the outside and say, look, here's a sinful root. Have you thought about this one? You go, oh, never thought about that being why I'm doing this. That's why God has put us together as a church, right? So different people have different perspectives on sin situations and can help one another see, you know, until I married my husband, I didn't see some of the sinful ways that I was selfish, that I wanted to be in control of my life. And, you know, God wants to keep on showing us those areas where we need to grow into his image. So lying, of course, is a sin that leads to other kinds of sins. Lying to ourselves leads us to do compulsive things like pornography. And then we're like, well, why do I keep doing this? I'm never going to do it again. I'm going to put all these filters on my computer. Great idea. The filters may help you break the broken cistern on one side when you're having a weak moment, but until you go to God and get his cleansing and that you really accept his grace, you're still going to be driven back to those things. You will, you'll keep rebuilding your broken cisterns or build new ones. I have a friend who goes from homosexuality to drugs to alcohol 
to, you know, he just takes turns. Food, different addictions. This one will fade away for a while and that one will grow stronger. That one will fade away for a while but another one grows. A person may conquer their, their tendency to go to food idolatrously, but what are they going to go to next? If it's not Christ, it will be something else. And it doesn't matter what it is, it's going to be destructive, no matter how harmless it may seem. You know, we as Adventists trumpet how terrible it is to go to smoking and alcohol and things like that, but what about movies? What about TV? What about codependent relationships that are just idolatry? What about falling into over-ministering? I'm just going to do more evangelistic meetings. I'm going to be active in the church six nights a week because then I'll feel so much better. And whenever I start feeling down, I'll go back to, but look at all the things that I do. Look at how well I preach. Look at how many people have been telling me, I don't know how this church would keep going without you. Idols. God wants to deal with our hearts. Not that there's anything wrong with being busy six nights a week in ministry. But if that becomes what we base our sense of worth on, we're in big trouble. What are some broken cisterns that people go to? I know I've been mentioning them all along the way, but I'll just mention a, a summary of a few that... I see people go to very commonly entertainment. I can't tell you how many forms this one takes that are all deadly and seem so harmless. The Adventist addiction, entertainment, living in Collegedale, if I ever knew of entertainment addiction, it's, it's there. You know, young people everywhere. You know, there was just an article in the student newspaper the other day about going out dancing on Saturday nights and how wonderful it is and the, the benefits of going out to dancing at this. Uh, I don't remember what kind of dancing it was, but don't worry if you're thinking it's all going to be over by the time the sun sets when it's 9 o'clock at night. It goes on until 11. Isn't that great? You don't even have to break the Sabbath and you can go to this entertainment. Um, I'm not saying that it's wrong to have fun. Please don't misunderstand me. But when we know that we need to come to Christ and instead we're wasting our time on those things, we need to think, where are we going to be when the crisis hits? When the crisis comes and we're going, oh, Lord, I needed to be filling up my lamp with oil so that I would be ready for this time, right? Food. Food is a big one. So many Adventists who would never dream of eating a pig don't mind overeating at potluck every Sabbath, right? Food is not, you know, sinful, except when it's an idol. Or, um, let's see, sex Another one that's a big one for many people, it may not be that we're having sex, but we may be daydreaming about someday when, I'm get, when I get married, and then it'll be legitimate. Boy, that'll be wonderful. God wants us to find deep intimacy with Him. Many people are driven to pornography because they're not having a deep, intimate relationship with God. We long to be naked and not ashamed with somebody, but God wants us to have that with Him. He wants us to pour ourselves out, to be totally vulnerable, to be one with Him. When we aren't doing that with him, we find an unhealthy craving for sex. And especially in a sex-saturated sex culture, it's a common problem. Competition. Even on healthy things, you know, I'm getting really good grades, or I'm exercising and staying really fit. Isn't this wonderful? But is it an idol we're turning to? When we feel down, do we turn to this instead of to Christ? We go out there in the basketball court and pound somebody and, wow, I feel so good. I just drove myself out and I won. If that's where we're finding our, our comfort, we're in trouble. Control. This one takes so many forms. Can't even begin to get into them. Virtuosity. Being so spiritual. Having your devotions regularly. I know people who just seem to flourish on having people sit at their feet and say, what does Ellen White say about this? Well, there's nothing wrong with knowing what Ellen White says about everything. That's wonderful. But if we feel like we're worth something because we know so much and other people look up to us, that may be an idol. Self-protection. No one's ever going to hurt me again. I'm going to be able to handle everything myself. These are ways of not trusting God. God wants us to trust him, to be willing to go into relationships that may even cause us pain. You know, when I make friends with somebody and I know if I allow this person in my life, they have some habits of being really mean, I may, I may get hurt. Well, that's true. And in counseling, sometimes I have to make that delicate decision. I don't have time to minister to everybody. But some people, 
may, if they don't get what they want, turn on me and be bitter or angry. Say, ah, she said she was going to help me, but she, you know what I mean? I'm just saying, in ministry and in friendship, sometimes you have to take risks of being hurt. Not that there isn't a very important place for having good boundaries and saying, you know, you have consistently showed me that you're not going to be the kind of friend that I can spend time with. But sometimes people put a boundary around themselves because they don't want to be hurt. Pain is not our enemy. Sin is our enemy. When we start being committed to self-protection, we stop being like Jesus. Jesus loved Judas, knowing Judas was going to hurt him. If I knew somebody was going to hurt me like that, would I let them into my life? Would I love them so deeply? I don't know that I have that much of Jesus in me, but I want to. God wants us to be willing to face pain for the sake of ministering to someone else. And idolatrous relationships, codependency, as many people call it. Um, I talked to a girl not too long ago who was consumed by her need to achieve in sports. She just had to. You know, she was a runner. She did so many things well. And when she started feeling bad, that's what she would go to. I'm going to go run. I run for five miles. I feel great again. Well, exercise is a wonderful thing to do, and it's very helpful with depression or things like that. But if you're going to it instead of Christ, you're in trouble. Now, I don't think that people need to aim at getting to the point where they no longer have any kind of longing for anything other than Christ. I don't think that's realistic. But when we realize there's something that we're turning to instead of Christ, that's when we realize that's the broken cistern. It's time to hand it over to God. When it comes to addictions, I guess I would summarize undesirable behaviors are usually the fruits of deeper sin issues. Pride, love of self desire for pleasure instead of a desire for God. We crave glory, comfort, pain, relief, or something else to satisfy the thirst that only God can really quench. If you uh, weed your garden with a lawnmower, you can be sure that your addiction will come right back, right? If you, if you do things just trying to cut off the surface, I'm not going to do those things anymore, but you don't let Christ dig out the roots, you can be sure it'll come back. Here's what I would recommend in identifying the broken cisterns in your life. Prayerfully evaluate where you turn when you feel down. This is one of the best ways to figure out what is it that I'm turning to instead of Christ. Do you turn to friends to saying, man, I'm really popular. I think I'm going to go shopping for a little while. Let me just see what there is to eat. What do we turn to instead of Christ? What satisfaction does that idol bring? What is it that it makes me feel good about? Do I feel lovable? Do I feel worthwhile? Do I feel powerful? These are things I need to turn to God for. His strength is made perfect in my weakness. The more powerful I feel, the less I may feel my need for Him. Look for the root sins, not just the fruits. Say, Lord, what is it? I love the, the way that God shows us what it is that's going on at the root of our hearts. When we go to him and we say, Lord, what is it that I'm really going to here? Rely on God's ability to satisfy the thirst of your heart. He knows what it is. You're not going to come to the point where you've punctured every, every lie of the devil in your life. He's going to keep on showing you. God is going to keep on showing you. Here's another thing that I'd like you to grow in. Because that's what he does, right? He changes us into his image. That's our purpose. As long as we're alive on this earth, he wants to keep on saying, look, here's another way you can grow, another way you can grow. We don't expect plants when they're growing to just stop, right? Okay, I've gotten this tall, not going to go anywhere from here on. They grow. They're always either growing or dying. This is the way life is. God wants us to always be growing because if we aren't, we're going to be dying. Um... I, I don't know what it is that God may be revealing to you in, in your heart, the broken cisterns that maybe you've gone to that he wants to set you free from. But I just want to appeal to you. Ask him. He'll show you. Give it to him whenever he shows it to you. Strike it on both sides. Say, Lord, what is it? When he shows you what it is, say, wow, Lord, how can I dwell more deeply in your love so that I have the power to stay away from that thing. I'm giving it up right now, Lord, handing it over to you. I give my life to you with open hands, but now help me to dwell in you. Show me where the lies are, the, the, the Ziploc bag that goes around my heart and puncture it. 
Show me how I can claim your word, your power, to give me the truth about what you feel about me, about my worth, about what, how much you love me. Because then I'll be set free from all the other things, the chains that bind. Then those things that were so important to me will wither up and I'll go, ooh, why was I dying to go to that slimy cistern? God will do this for you. He's done it for me. He's continuing to do it for me. There's so many things that I keep finding in my life. Don't think, you know, wow, Nicole Parker has arrived. No, no, I haven't. I, I know the process, but I have to keep on dying to self too and saying, oh, Lord, I know I need to stop being driven to want my own satisfaction, to want my way. It's always got to be his way because his way is a loving way. He doesn't say, do it my way or else. He does that because he loves us. He knows my way is really the way that's going to make you happy and holy. And that's what we want. Our goal is holiness, being like him. Let's, let's pray now. Father in heaven, we hand over our broken cisterns to you. You know what they are, Lord. You see our hearts. You see the depths of ugliness inside my heart, inside each heart here. The ways that we have failed you, the ways that we have forsaken you and gone after other things, our idols. Thou, God, seest me. Lord, show us where those idols are. Reveal them to us as fast as we're ready to confront them. And then give us the courage to let you root them out, because we can't do it on our own. We love you, Lord. We surrender to you. Help us to, to find in you the peace that passes understanding, the satisfaction of that thirst. Help us to drink from that crystal fountain that you've offered for every person. Thank you, Lord. We love you so much. Amen.